Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Good morning. It's uh, good to see you on this cold and rainy day. Uh, it really is. It's good to have you. Last weekend we had a wonderful time at our men's retreat. It was, um, it was good. God did some really good things, and I sure appreciate all the guys, the guys that are in my life. And it really fits with the theme of this morning. The theme of this morning really has to do with mercy. We're going to look at the Beatitudes once again, but we're going to especially pay attention to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, where it said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. You know, early on when I was raising my kids, my, my two boys, we would go into their bedroom at night, and we would ask them if they wanted to pray. My oldest son would say yes immediately, and he would pray, and then he had, some, he had some messages he wanted to bring, too. He was quite a talker. He could tell you Bible stories on top of Bible stories. My second one wasn't so much. He struggled with language. He got his eyes and wheeze and he's mixed up, and we asked him if he wanted to pray, and each time we asked him, there was no verbal response. He would just shake his head no. And this went on for several months until one evening we went in. We asked my oldest son if he wanted to pray. He said, yes, he would. And he prayed out loud. And we asked my my second son if he wanted to pray. And to our surprise, he nodded his head yes. And he closed his eyes real tight. And he said, thank God he don't beat we up. And I thought, what a picture of wonderful, wonderful mercy that he doesn't beat we up. He doesn't beat you up. If you've had a difficult time this week, if you felt like life has pummeled you and really knocked you down, you can just remember this. Thank God he don't beat we up. You know, we need people like that in our lives as well, don't we? We have a merciful God and we have people in our lives who I know for me have thrown me lifelines, desperately needed lifelines. And, and, and two of those guys are really here today. One doesn't know I'm going to introduce him. The other one does. Uh, but I want to introduce first Big Mike. He's in the back. Big Mike, stand up. So you said I could do this sometime, so I'm doing it. Uh, Mike and I have taken a journey together in our AA group, and it's been a a wonderful journey. He now uh, is part of you here, so he comes and hangs out, and uh, we're good friends. I really appreciate that. And the other person I want to introduce to you is, is Ron. Ron, why don't you stand? Ron is my AA sponsor. He's a great guy. There he is. <clears throat> Thanks, Ron. Uh, these guys were uh, incredibly... Co- what did you say? Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. <laughs> My name's Mike. I'm an alcoholic. My name's Ron. I'm an alcoholic. Um, these guys have been amazing in my life. They really have. When, you know, when you wonder about kindness, when you wonder about mercy, when you wonder about all those kinds of things, just, just because of your perspective, you know, the things that you're going through, whether, whether it's an addiction or a broken relationship, whatever it might be, you do wonder, don't you? I mean, it's just a human mind that does things like that. And then to have people come along that, uh, that throw you a lifeline, um, that, that greet you and, and love you and care for you, uh, regardless of what they know about you. They, they just have that wonderful ability, and I've appreciated that deeply. And I've appreciated that about our relationship, and I know what God is doing in our lives right now. So remember this. As you go through this morning and really this next week, remember, thank God he don't beat we up. 
And that is the grace and the mercy of our Father in heaven. I want you to do this with me. Would you pray? Father, we just, uh, we just ask that you would touch our lives today. And we're so thankful that you don't beat us up. We're thankful that you extend mercy and mercy and even more mercy in our lives. And thank you for the friends that we have that do the same. That um, have extended hands that have needed to be extended to those that are weary. And, and open hearts to those that need consoling. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, amen. Well, for those that may not know this, we've been in a series titled, The End of Me, Where Real Life Begins. What it's about is it's a study of the Beatitudes taught by Jesus, and it's found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, and it's the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. And if you want to get a head start, you can turn there. We're going to go there in just a moment. But here's what we've discovered so far, that the first three Beatitudes are really about the emptiness of a blessed person. That that blessed person, in order to be blessed, needs to empty themselves. And, and the whole idea, really, of emptiness is so counterintuitive to the way that we think life should be lived. And yet Jesus tells us to live this way. He tells us to live a life that's almost upside down, according to the world. You see, what Jesus says is he says, be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But we would say, blessed are the rich. Blessed are those who have what they want, not those who confess that they're spiritually poor, that they're broken, that they're bankrupt. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. But what do we say? We say, blessed are those who never sorrow, who never shed a tear, who never experience pain in their life. Because saying, happy are the sad, makes no sense to us. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. But we say, blessed are those who just go get what they want in life. Who just go full steam ahead. Blessed are those who depend on their own intellect, their own ingenuity, their own cunning. And they tell others to do the same. And their mantra, their theme is God helps those who helps themselves. And we come to this fourth beatitude. It's where Jesus tells us now that we are empty he can fill us and it says for those that hunger and thirst for righteousness they shall be filled I I love this this fourth beatitude I love them all but this is really the pivotal point it's the fourth beatitude that sets the spiritual table for filling the filling of God and the things that God values what does God value God values things like mercy and and purity he values peace You see, unless there's this emptying of all things me, I cannot be filled with all things God. That's the way it works. Me and God together, sometimes that's like oil and water, isn't it? The things that I want, the desires that I have run up against, bump up against, are contrary to the desires God has for me. Because the desires that God has for me really have to do with, with happiness, and living a blessed life. That's what the Beatitudes are about. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we have a wonderful opportunity coming this next week to, to practice this, this emptying out and filling up, this emptying out and filling up. And it's, it starts on March 5th. That's a Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday. And we go 46 days up until the Saturday before Easter. And that's a time of reflection. It's a time to examine our own lives. It's called Lent. 
And to be able to say, God, what is it that, that, that gets in the way of my relationship with you? What gets in the way of me being blessed, of me living a happy, joy-filled life? What, what are those things? And that maybe you would look at your life and do the same. Look at your habits and do the same. Uh, I, told, uh, I told the crowd last night that it's, it's going to be coffee for me for 46 days. And, and uh, I'm thinking, yikes, I'm a Northwest boy and I... I live off coffee, but I, but I found out this about coffee, that, that I need it too much in the morning. You know, I need it, I need it to, to look at you in the morning. I need it to, to look at life in the morning. I need it to, to get energized and get, get excited in the morning. And I realized that I had become too dependent on that thing called caffeine, and, and, I, and I, I, don't, I don't want to be dependent. I don't want to be dependent on anything else except the things that God gives me. Uh, I, I want God to be the one in charge of my moods. I want him to be the one in charge of my attitudes. And that's really, really, really what the Beatitudes uh, are about. It's putting God in charge of what's going on in your heart. And so, so if you would take some time and, and look and examine and say, what is it that, that God's asking me to do? So that when we come to that Easter celebration, we've emptied ourselves out. We've reflected over our lives. And that's the time where great joy comes. That's the time that... That excitement comes because of the resurrected life that's been given to us through Jesus. And so what is it that we look at? What is it we pay attention to? I don't know if you noticed this, but the four, first four Beatitudes have to do with the way that I live life with God. And the other Beatitudes really have to do with the way I live life with you. It has to do with the way I live life with my neighbors. Last Thursday, um, Annette and I... We were headed for, for the airport, and I did something I know better not to do. I, uh, I tried to bargain with God. It never works, but we keep trying. I don't know why we keep trying, but we do. I decided that I'd been vulnerable enough for now. I had confessed enough, that I had emptied enough. I told the Lord that I, I was tired of people knowing my stuff. I said, God, please, just, just a little privacy. You know, just, just a little reprieve. I said, please, God, give me a break. He answered quickly. The answer was no way. <laughs> not, I'm not going to give you a break. And I knew what he was up to then, and I, I figured that would probably be the answer. It would be n no way. And I said, but God, I, I, feel, I feel so exposed. And, and he said, just keep leaning into me. Just keep, you know, just trust in me. Now, mind you, I'm having this conversation as we enter the terminal and then we're headed to security. So what happened next, I can only conclude, was God putting an exclamation point on our conversation, especially with the no way part of it. Because when I got there, I went through the security, went through the scanner, and the alarms went off. And I'd totally forgotten to tell them about my metal knee. That's the first time I'd gone through security like that. And the alarms were going off, and they made me back up and and treated me like a terrorist. You know how that goes. And, and I know that's their job. And so they sent me through again. The alarms went off again. And they said, sir, could you step over here? And it's interesting. They have these two places where you put your feet. Have you seen that? Like I'm a dummy. Put your feet right here, you know. So I'm standing there. And they said, uh, someone will be with you soon. And, and someone did come soon. And uh, this person walked over, latex gloves. And, and I'm thinking, that's never good. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Never. Never had a good experience. Um, and he came over, and, uh, and, and the first thing he says to me, and uh, he says this, he says, 
He says, do you want a private room? <laughs> and I said, excuse me? And he said, well, we can do this privately or we can do this publicly. And I thought, oh, Lord. Um, I said, well, there aren't very many people around. Really, I think you guys are probably just trying to stay busy right now. And, and so I'll just stay right out here where my wife can see me, you know? And, uh, and I went through this thorough pat down that, that I have never experienced in the Middle East. I've never experienced in Nigeria or Sri Lanka or any of those other places. And when I got done, I realized that uh, it was almost the humorous way the Lord was putting an exclamation mark. He was saying, you know what? I'm not going to let you get away with this. I'm not going to let you. God wanted to remind me that my life is not mine. It's his. Uh, that surrender is the way to live and to live an open life. And and oftentimes we, we don't get the reprieves of just living a private life because the Bible says that our life is to be lived like light. It's to be lived like we're the salt of the earth. And that's really what I know God's about in my life. I know that he's about that in your life. And so when we take the Beatitudes seriously and we desire change in our lives, th- this is what we sign up for. I, I hope you know that. I hope that you know when you go through something like this, you're signing up for change in your life. And, and, and taking half measures uh, will really get us nowhere. The Beatitudes lead us on this, this amazing journey exposing our sin and, and our weakness and our brokenness. That's because God wants to fill us with this thing called abundant life and joy and happiness. Uh, Because really the theme here is happy are you when you let God empty you. And when you let that happen in return, God says that he will fill you with himself and righteousness. Now, now here's where the filling begins, and this is the turning point in the Beatitudes. The, the turning point is here in verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And we can see that in the context of Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And I'd like you to read along with me so you get the full picture, once again, of what Jesus is teaching here. It's the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. It's, uh, it's something that he begins. And Annette said this last week. She said, you can read through the, Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You'll find, I think, 60 commands. But nowhere in the Beatitude is there any commands. It's an invitation. You're being invited into a relationship. And it says this beginning at at verse 1. It says, In seeing the multitudes, or his neighbors, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, our verse today is verse 7. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall 
obtain mercy. You know, with each beatitude that we've studied, I've had a different response. You read, blessed are the poor, and and your heart, I think, responds in maybe a different way than when you read, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. And, And in this way, when I've read, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, the way that I responded here was with some questions. I had a few questions that I was asking about this particular beatitude. And the first, and I don't think it's surprising, is this. What is the risk I run at being merciful? <laughs> you see, that's the old nature coming up. That, that's, the, that's the self-protecting me. Okay, what is it that's going to happen here? What fear is attached to being merciful? And if you remember, we've talked about the Beatitudes being Jesus' way, God's way of responding to the natural and even primal fears that we deal with in life. When he says, blessed are the poor, he's saying to you, you know, I I know you don't really like to be poor. I know you didn't wake up this morning with the intention of being poor. Uh, It's something we fear in life. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, we fear death. Um, When we talk about being meek, it's about losing our own control and giving God control. Who wants to really do that? And then you come to this place and, and it says, blessed are the merciful. And the first thing that I ask is, what fear do I have in being merciful? And then another question is, how does my heart become merciful? That's a good question. And I think that the other is, what does a merciful person look like is a good question to ask. I think these questions are a natural response to being merciful because God is merciful and we should be as well. So what I want to do is just go over a few of those questions with you and you might want to jot a few of them down. Let me ask the first question again. What is the risk or the fear that I have at being merciful? And remember this. Remember there is a risk to practicing each beatitude. There is a risk, but there's also a reward, and that reward is a changed life. And here's my fear of being merciful, and maybe it's your fear as well, that the person I show mercy to will take advantage of me. That's my fear. That that if I show mercy to someone, they're going to take advantage of me. Now, you you merciful people by nature out there, don't maybe you're okay with this. But someone like me is not always okay with this. Because I want to measure out what I'm going to measure out. And if mercy is what I'm going to measure out, then I want to make sure that the person I'm giving mercy to isn't going to take advantage of me if I give too much mercy. I, I, I don't want it coming back on me. I, I, don't, I don't want to get hurt. This may be the number one reason mercy is a rare commodity in our relationship today. Because to, to risk showing others mercy means this. It means a few things to me. Number one, it means that I have to trust that God is my protector. That, that's what I have to rely on. That's who I have to depend on. And the person that I look to in scripture is, is David because he, he says it so well. He says, you're the glory and the lifter of my head. You are my shield and my buckler. You are my strong tower in a day of trouble. You are the rock that I firmly place my feet on. And everything that he speaks of there speaks of trusting in God as his protector, as his covering. And I think to be someone who shows mercy, you need to be someone who trusts that God is your protector. Because it's a vulnerable place to be. It's an exposing place to be. It's oftentimes a tenuous place to be because you don't know altogether how that person is going to respond to you. But God isn't asking us to know that. 
God is saying, show mercy. And, and that's what he's asking us to do. And the reason is, is because he's shown us mercy. There's something else I think it means. It means that I have to trust that God is working in the heart of the one shown mercy. That's a tough one to read, isn't it? It's a tough one. Because I, I'm giving mercy and I'm not sure if the person who is supposed to receive the mercy is really getting it. You know, I want them to get it. I'll go so far to get them to get it, you know, to, if you've got to hit them on the head with a two by four. Will, will you get it? And sometimes you just don't know. You can't see. Their body language indicates nothing. Their eyes indicate nothing. Their lifestyle indicates no receptivity to you showing mercy. But with all that said, what it comes down to is me trusting God that he's working in their life. Regardless of what I see or what I don't see. Regardless of what may be the lack of fruit in their life. I just have to believe that when I do this, somewhere along the way, whether it's now, later, or 30 years from now, that that it will bear fruit. Because God's word doesn't return void. Do you hear that? So maybe you're, you're, you're doing that now. Maybe you're in a relationship now and you're extending mercy to someone and you're, you're saying, well, I don't know. I don't know. Is this really, is this really working? Now, I'm not talking of being a sap here. I'm not talking about someone who's just getting taken advantage of here. I'm talking about wisdom. But yet there's mercy that's extended. You know, you know let, me, let me reverse it a little bit. If God looked at me and said, well, I'm not going to give you any mercy because you're a sap, I'd be in trouble. Because there's been a lot of times in my life, it's exactly what I've been. And so I come to this place and I recognize that, that I need to trust God with, with the one that I'm in relationship with. And then... I think it also means this. It also means I have to trust that God is working his will out in me as well. Even though someone may not be receiving that mercy and love that I'm extending, I have to know that God's at work in my own heart, that he's doing something in me that's profound. He's doing something in me that's deep. And oftentimes it's right then in those moments when, when it seems to be roadblocks all around when I'm, when I'm wanting to extend mercy, that that's when God does his greatest and deepest work in my heart. Here's another question. Another question is, how does my heart become merciful? And I think the answer is found in the already mentioned Beatitudes. I really do. Mercy comes from a heart that has first felt its spiritual bankruptcy and has come to grieve over its sin and has learned to wait on God's timing and it hungers and thirsts for all things God. The mercy that God gives is itself the blessing of God. I think it grows like fruit in a broken heart and a meek spirit and a soul that hungers and thirsts for God to be merciful. The person that I think about, the example that comes to mind in the Bible is the person Abraham, Father Abraham. I mean, we think a lot about his life, that he was hospitable, that's certain. Uh, that, that, he, that, that he was a man of faith, that's certain. Uh, but, but I don't know if we've ever seen him as someone who is an intercessor, someone who pleads on the behalf of others for their lives. Abraham did this. Genesis chapter 18, it tells us that an angel of the Lord came and said he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does Abraham do? He pleads. He pleads. Six times he petitions God. I counted them. Six times he says, no, don't, don't destroy it. 
He understands it's wicked. It isn't something that he's blinded to. He understands the wickedness of that. But you, you don't see him going outside the city gates of Sodom and Gomorrah with placards saying you're all going to hell. What does he do? He has mercy. He says, you know, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to intercede. And I think that is a great strategy for all of us when we see maybe the wickedness and sin that destroys others. We don't turn a blind eye to it. What we do is we go to God. And we say, God, please work in their lives. Work in their lives. Where does mercy come from? Well, I think mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy toward each other comes from God's mercy toward us. We have to be mindful of both. It's like the person who forgives is the person who knows that they've been deeply forgiven. Deeply forgiven. And if I was to to, to pick a mindset or a thought, a theme to come to the Lord's table today, that that is the theme that that I hold to my heart. Is that I come knowing that I have been forgiven by God, so I want to be someone who forgives. And I think that one of the greatest expressions of mercy is forgiveness. One of the greatest fruit of of mercy is forgiving someone and knowing that you've been deeply forgiven yourself. I think that's incredible. Here's the key to becoming a merciful person, and that is to become a broken person. You you get the strength to show mercy from the real sense in your heart that that you you owe everything you are and everything you have to God. That that your life, that the things that you have, nothing is yours. That that it's God's. And and when you understand that, when you live that way, when you believe that, um, things can come and go in your life and they don't devastate you as far as possessions and material things. The reason why is because you know, wow, I didn't own it in the first place. It wasn't mine. It was God's. Uh, here's another question that comes to my mind, and that is, what does a merciful person look like? This is a big one for me. Um, I think to answer this question, it's probably a good idea to go, and we've talked about this, is, is looking at the opposite. What does the opposite of ha- having mercy look like? And it's found, and Jesus gives a, a, a teaching in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, and it reads like this. It says, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what that means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see what is being said there? If you look at verse 13 and you see in quotations, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's a direct quote out of the book of Hosea. It's Hosea 6.6. 6. It's the place where God is speaking to his children, his children, the children of Israel. And he's saying, listen, every time you come and bring sacrifice now, there's no love behind it. There's no passion behind it. There's no affection behind it. This has become a form of religion. In fact, 
you're so religious, it looks like this to me. It looks like the dew of the grass in the morning that, that lands and, and, and settles on the grass. But then when the sun comes up in, in the heat of day, where is that dew found? It's gone. It's evaporated. It's fickle. It's not faithful as you are not faithful to me. That's what he's saying. So when Jesus is saying this, he's looking at this people and he's saying, listen, you need to know this. You need to understand what's happening here. And here's the point. God wants his people to be alive in their heart. He wants them to have feelings of affection toward him and mercy toward each other. That's really what he's asking for. And who are the people it's most difficult to show mercy toward? Who are the people, and if you think about this, who are the people that it is most difficult for you to show mercy toward? How about those closest to you? Because those closest to you will inevitably hurt you. And they'll hurt you the most. Your children, your spouse, your family, your friends. I think the deepest hurts and deep, deep, deepest wounds have been found in the categories that I just mentioned. I, I think that's true. I know it's true for me. And so to extend mercy oftentimes to those that are the closest to you that hurt you the most is a struggle. It's difficult. And you may be going through that struggle right now. I mean, you may be looking at relationships and you've been profoundly hurt and, and, and you're saying, I'm, I'm not showing mercy there. I'll show mercy everywhere else. I'll show mercy to a stranger before I show mercy to someone this close to me. Here's what I think mercy has the ability to do. It has the ability to separate your sins from who you are. It doesn't ignore. It doesn't discount sin. It has the ability to separate that who God has made you to be. That's what mercy can do. Mercy can look at an individual and say, I see what God has made this person to do. I see the value of this person in my life in spite of the sin. See how God arranges all that? It's a wonderful way of doing that. Mercy has the ability to see love up close and sin far away. The Lord uh, gave me a, a simple lesson about a month or two ago. I'm, I'm, I'm an outdoor guy, and, and uh, some may not know this. Uh, I'm a birder. I like watching birds. And, um, and I hear them coming back early in the morning now, and I'm excited. And, and so I always have binoculars out. And, um, and when I was thinking about this idea and this truth of mercy, uh, the, Lord, the Lord just gave me a, a, an illustration he says, you know when you look through these binoculars, you have a choice of which lens you look through. I know, that sounds weird, doesn't it? But you do. So when you look at someone's life, someone close to you who has committed a sin or offended you, what lens do you look through when you see their sin? Do you look at their sin up close? And mercy far away? Is that how you do it? Because anytime you bring sin this close to you, the offense that close to you, it's very difficult. It smothers you. 
makes it difficult for you to live and breathe and have joy in life. Or when someone offends you, do you look at love up close? Do you see the value of that person up close? And then do you see the sin far away? Which lens are you looking through right now? Which lens are you choosing to look through? This is not about being a victim. It's not about letting someone run over you. We know that. But it's about how you choose. It's a perspective. It's how do you see the people around you that you love the most that, that, that may have hurt you. Because I, I know what God has done for me. And he says it clearly in Psalm 103 verses 10 through 12. He says, I, is, I, I have not dealt with us, he has not dealt with us according to our sin, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are as high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How does God choose to see you? When he looks at you, he sees purpose. He has love, and that's what he's looking at. When he sees your sin, he sees it. Believe me. But he's looking at it from a distance. He says, I've removed that. It's as far as the east is from the west. You see, that's the way God treats me, and certainly that's the way that I want to treat others, especially those that are close to me, those that I might struggle with in life. You don't show mercy based on whether you think someone deserves it or not. That's not mercy. It's based, and if it's based on that logic, you should have been shown no mercy yourself. <laughs> this is what I know. Mercy's not easy. <laughs> However, it is easier to receive mercy than it is to give mercy. How about that? <laughs> I, I need mercy. I want mercy. You mean show mercy? No, I just need it. Won't show it. Don't want to give it. But I really need it. Mercy never works that way. That's not mercy. The very nature of mercy, the very heart of mercy, is it's been given to you and it's expected to be given to others. That is mercy. That is mercy. Lamentation 3, 22 and 23 read like this. Through the Lord's mercies we, have, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know what it's saying? It's saying, Lord, you never waver when it comes to giving me mercy. Your faithfulness is great from the beginning to the end of my life. You've always been faithful when it comes to giving me the mercy that I need. And then there's another one that I, that I love very much. It's found in that great passage of scripture, Psalm 23. Most of us have heard this before. And in fact, it's David in his latter years. And if you could imagine him sitting on the hills of Judea and he's looking down in one of those valleys and he sees shepherds herding their sheep and the thought comes to him, so as those shepherds are to those sheep, the Lord has been to me. The Lord is my shepherd. 
That's the way that psalm begins, but the way it ends is really a declaration. It's a blessing. It has to do with mercy in our lives. And that's why I want us to do this. I want us to read this together. I want us to read this out loud. Fathers, read this for your family. Moms, read this for your children. Uh, Guys and gals, read this for your business, for your home, for your church. But, But own this. Make this yours. I want you to read this with me. It says this. Go ahead. Surely goodness, mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. And would you say amen to that? Our mercy toward each other comes from a merciful God. It's like the person who forgives is the person who knows that they have been deeply forgiven. And what we're going to do now is we're just going to prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. And every time we do this, I just want to remind ourselves that there's, uh, <clears throat> there's no religious form to all of this, that when we come we remember what Christ has done for us through the elements that are presented here. And those elements are the, the bread that represents the broken body, the cup that represents the blood. I think the person that put it well for us and gave us some instruction on how we do this and what our heart should be like is the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul, he puts it real clear for us. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 It says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you just bow your head for a moment? I'm going to invite our our worship team to come forward. And um, I want us just to remember the words that we've spoken here today. I, I think it's important that when we come to the Lord's table that we just remember that we are forgiven. And, uh, and because we are forgiven, we can forgive. I've been thinking about this in my life. I recognize when I come to the table, I come as a broken person. We're a community of the broken. And in our brokenness, I think the fruit of righteousness grows. And that's mercy and purity and peace. It says we have emptied ourselves out. As we have declared that we are not capable of managing our own lives that we're postured to be filled. I think brokenness is that fertile soil. The brokenness of our heart is the fertile soil for good fruit to grow. The Bible says God does not despise a broken and contrite heart because those are the seeds that his fruit grows in. And um, that, that, that's the way that that I want to come to him today and we join together and we just say Lord we've emptied out and now fill us with mercy purity peace all things that are God Father we thank you today for the gift that you've given us the gift of life 
and the gift of mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Fill our hearts today with your mercy so that we can learn to practice mercy every day, every moment. That we would live life the way that you have chosen for us to live life. That we'd be happy and blessed. God, I just uh, pray for everyone here that needs healing in their life, in their body, their soul, their spirit. You are our great healer, and we thank you for that. You're our protector. You're our provider. But today we come to this table in remembrance of you. In your name we pray. And we say together, amen. As you come today, again, the elements, the bread represents the brokenness of Christ. That was the fertile soil, wasn't it, for life to come forth, life for us. And it's reminding us that when we take it in our brokenness, that's the place that God does his best and greatest work. When we take the cup, we're reminded that that cup represents the blood of Jesus. And it's the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, that has forgiven us of our sins, our unrighteousness. And we, we know we've been forgiven. And then how do we live in community? Do we forgive? Are we forgivers? Are we ones who extend mercy to others? I, I hope that's what we remember when we come to the Lord's table. There are three places you can come. You can come here. There are two tables in the back. You can go there as well. We also have containers on each table. These are designed for us bringing our prayer requests and different things that, uh, that, that we're, we're needing and we're wanting to talk about or confess. We put those things down and we drop those in the containers. Maybe there's something this morning that you're thinking about as far as uh, the time that we celebrate or we go into Lent. You're saying, Lord, I want to commit to give this up. Can I, can I give you a little hint here? It's one thing to decide that in your heart and, and not tell anyone. That's not really what I would say is a full circle commitment. I think there's an accountability with that, isn't there? That I just say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. And, um, and I think there's that great accountability and there's people that can pray for you in that journey of whatever that is for you in Lent, whatever it is that God is asking you to do. You can write those things down, bring those as well. It's also a time where we give our gifts, our offering. It's one time where we actually get to put our, our feet to our heart. And our heart, God says, is to be generous. And then we put feet to that. We walk up and we give our offerings. And that's, uh, that's always a, a joyful time for me, to, to be able to do that and to honor God and to love him that way. God is good, isn't he? And what we want to do today is just join in and share the Lord's table together. And we're going to continue to worship God here. And then, and then you can come to the table at your own leisure. You can take the elements here. You can take them back to your seat. You can take them with friends. You can take them by yourself. There, there's just ways that we can do this. But it is communion. It is in remembrance of Christ. Let's do that together today. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com.
Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.